Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. Oh man, how great is our God? So great, right? Yes. And oh man, uh, thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us. So last week, um, I talked or I asked a question Have you ever tasted something so good that it just changed your life? It just tasted so amazing, completely changed the directory of your life. And so this morning, I have sort of a follow up question which is, have you ever met somebody? Have you met somebody that completely changed your life? Or maybe had an experience with somebody that completely changed your life? And for many of us uh, today, we'd probably say, hopefully, that we met Jesus, right? And it changed everything, completely rearranged our lives. And for me, um, still to this day, almost, uh, I guess, over 20 years now, um, every day Jesus inspires me, um, just, I'm so thankful, completely makes me want to change daily. Now, again, that was over 20 years ago, but after I came to the faith, after I started following Jesus, I met somebody who also changed my life. And so I was living in Southern California, or well, further southern, southern than here, uh, managing a juice bar, and this was in San Dimas, California. And I know it's so cliche to be managing a juice bar and, you know, and slinging wheatgrass and yeah. And so one day I looked over into our, our lobby area and I saw this girl, like six foot tall, just absolutely beautiful, leaning up against the shelf right there. And it was a scene out of a movie. Like literally, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. The light just came in and fell all over her, just completely slow motion. And, it's just, and her, you know, the hair is flipping in the air. I'm like, who, who is this? And I don't know what song was playing on the radio, but about that time, it was probably the Spice Girls. Um, but in my heart, in my heart, I had Jimi Hendrix, right? All along the watchtower. My heart's exploding. It's just jamming. What is happening? What am I looking at here? <clears throat> So it turns out uh, this young lady was there to visit a friend of hers who worked for me. So I had this sweet, short um, girl named Allison who worked with me. And this girl who was there, that was her best friend. And so after the, the woman left, the young lady left the juice bar, I turned to Allison and I said, I am going to marry her. And, and again, very sweet normally. But she looked up at me and she said, no, no, you're not. And that was the first time that I saw my future wife and best friend, Gianna. Now, why do I share this cheesy yet true story? It's because when I met Gianna, it made me think about who I was. It made me think about my life and take inventory. I quickly did math, right? I'm doing the math and I'm like, oh, wow, she's way out of my league. I mean, she's out of my galaxy. And at that time, I was still sort of a punk rocker. And so I, I, to that point, I didn't care if somebody liked me. In fact, it was kind of a badge of honor if you didn't like me. It's like, so what? And then I met Gianna, and for the first time in my life, I'm just like, please like me. Please, please like me. <clears throat> 
So it changed who I was and how I thought about myself for the rest of my life. And I bring that up because today we're going to read through Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> and if you want to look that up, Isaiah chapter 6. Um, I know like, it's like you're not supposed to have favorite children, right? You're not supposed to say, oh, I like one or love one above the other. And I'm not going to say that. My kids are <laughs> sweating. Um, but no, in the Bible, I mean, if we were to be honest and you said, James, you know, what's your favorite book? You know, I, I would say probably Romans, Hebrews. Um, but if you said, what's your favorite chapter? Like on my top five would be Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah chapter six is just absolutely incredible. And so what we're going to see here is Isaiah is going to meet someone. And it's just going to change his life. I mean, he's going to be turned inside out during this experience. He's going to be ashamed. He's going to be transformed. And he's going to become a prophet for the rest of his life after this moment. And so as I read and preach on this chapter this morning, I hope it rekindles your fire for the Lord. And you remember the first time you experienced the Lord, how much excitement you have and how much self-reflection you had in light of the holiness of the Lord. You know, and if you've never experienced that, let me just encourage you. It, it's absolutely incredible. Yes, is it scary? Yes, it's absolutely scary at times, but it's so worth it. And so today our sermon is going to be called Experiencing the Lord's Hugs, How to Embrace the Gospel. Let me pray before we get started. Oh, Heavenly Father, um, as I just said, I, I love Isaiah 6. <clears throat> just one of those scenes where we're going to have to use our imagination, and I would have loved to have seen what this was like, but also I know that for many of us here who have faith in you, that we're going to have that moment. We're going to be around your throne gathered like this, just enjoying your holiness, Lord, and singing your praises. And so I look forward to that day, Lord. Um, but I ask this morning that we would get a taste of that, that we would get a taste of your holiness this morning, Lord, and help us to live lives in light of that experience, Lord, and to truly know you and be transformed by your gospel. Amen. And so what we have here in Isaiah chapter, uh, verse 1, Isaiah 6, it says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so what we have here is a historic moment, right? A historic moment and a cosmic reality in, in one verse. See, that what happens here, it's not a fairy tale. It's, it's not like something that might have happened or happened in a galaxy far away, but this takes place in linear history. And how do we know that? Because it gives you a specific date, which is one thing you always, you'll hear me say that I love about the Bible, is that it's historic. And so we know this event wasn't a daydream. It happened in this year that King, the King Uzziah died. So which we, we can figure out is about 740 B.C. And so everybody, as you can imagine, with the king dying, people are freaking out because you don't know what the next king is going to be like. And so people are worried, what's going to happen? Are we going to have a good king or bad king? If you've read the Old Testament, most likely bad king. But, and so people are freaking out, what's going to happen? And so Isaiah actually knows what's going to happen because the Lord is going to show Isaiah what's about to take place. And so what I also love here is that the first thing the Lord does is show Isaiah a cosmic reality. 
in this historic moment, Isaiah sees beyond history, beyond like living in our time, and he's shown the throne of God. So right off the bat, God shows Isaiah, yes, kings are changing power, but there's also one Lord who's always in power and is always reigning no matter what happens. Just king of the entire universe, always and forever. And so this morning, as we go through Isaiah 6, I'm going to use the acronym HUGS. So if you're taking notes, uh, H-U-G-S, it just comes out like that. I'm not trying to be cute. Um, But yeah, we will be able to see how Isaiah is called as a prophet. And for us this morning, I think we could still see uh, this holiness of God and hopefully have this experience that empowers us to, like Isaiah, just completely live out the rest of your life for the Lord. And so let's start with the H of HUGS, which is holiness. And to see this, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What is going on here? And church, I hope you can use your imagination this morning, because I think we have to, right? I mean, even my hometown of Hollywood could not come up with a scene, just like in these verses of what's taking place. Just imagine that you're in that temple like Isaiah this morning. And as this vision is explained, just imagine what it would be like to be in the temple as, as this is being explained. Now, Isaiah doesn't mention every detail. He doesn't tell you what God's face looks like, but he gives us enough to really overwhelm us with God's holiness. And so you were kind of seeing almost through his hands, right, just as he's trying to figure out what's happening around him. And his first couple explanations, I think, are okay. I think we can grasp them like, oh, um, the throne of God. And I, I know we can't really grasp that, but okay, we know what a throne is and we know what a robe is. And so we're like, okay, this makes sense. It's probably just on a grander scale. But then he mentions these creatures called seraphim. And he said, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And I I can tell you, as somebody who loves science fiction and fantasy and horror, I can't even figure out what these things look like. I mean, can you? I mean, church, if we're being honest, these things sound very scary, right? There's nothing not scary about these things. And so just think about that as Isaiah is in this experience. And oh yeah, so uh, the name seraphim in Hebrew, it means fiery. So you're talking about little, not little, but six-winged nuclear explosions, right? Now, we're not told how many are here in this text, but if we use other biblical texts like Revelation 5.1, Using our human math, we could assume it's probably somewhere in the millions as far as we can count. So just, you know, a little terrifying, I would say. And yet the most important aspect of these creatures is not what they look like, if you can get past that, but it's what they're saying, right? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These things that are in the presence, these seraphim, they can't help but talk about God's holiness. 
of all the things that could be said about God, grace, love, peace, justice, power, artistry, omnipotence, omnipotence, immutability, all these things that we could talk about and I would love to talk about forever, the seraphim only want to talk about one thing, right? They want to talk about the holiness of God. They can't get over the fact that God is so holy. God's holiness is the talk of heaven. Even this morning, we're only joining in on a conversation that has lasted forever and is going to last forever, that God is holy. You know, and I know in many ways, God's holiness is a mystery. And we can't fully grasp it. Even the word kadesh in Hebrew, which means holy, kadesh, it simply means um, set apart, other, different. Like those aren't even helpful, right? It's just saying, so it's not like anything that we can use our vocabulary for. It's so set apart. And just like we see, you know, in the Bible, as we're going to see next week in our passage, whenever people come across angels, they're usually afraid. Like it's a pretty shocking experience. And so angels usually have to tell somebody, don't be afraid. It's the first thing an angel has to say. And for angels, they're in awe and fear of the Lord and the Lord's holiness. I mean, that's the level the Lord is at. And so this morning, do you realize how set apart the Lord is? Do you know how holy the Lord is? You know, and I realize a lot of us here are Christians, right? If not all of us. And so we have some idea of the Lord's holiness, right? We understand that the Lord is holy, right? See a lot of heads nodding. And then, so now what I would say is no. (laughs) No, we don't. We don't, church. We don't. And I don't mean that as a hand slap. That's not me disagreeing with you theologically. It's not a hand slap. It's a high five. Like it's a high, you know, high 10. Because the Lord is so much more holy, holy, holy than we could possibly comprehend. And that's exciting. That's a great thing for me. The nice thing is, that's just for right now. There's going to be a day, man, I hope all of us side by side are just in the presence of God's holiness. But why is it important to know this? Why do we need to know that God is holy? And I think it's because when we understand God's holiness and when we experience it, that's what helps us to experience God's grace. I'm sorry, that's what helps us uh, to become undone. It helps us to become undone in light of God's holiness. And so the you in hugs is undoing or undone. And we see this in verses 4 and 5. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so, yeah, just so you know, in this terrifying scene already, um, now we know that also the entire time everything is shaking and on fire and smoking, right? So can you imagine that this morning? And so for the first time, we hear Isaiah speak. 
And if you've ever read the book of Isaiah, you know this is the first time Isaiah speaks in Isaiah. And this is chapter 6. And so what does Isaiah say? Woe is me. Isaiah is in distress. Isaiah's in trouble. He knows it. Oh my goodness. And the first thing he does is cast judgment on himself. He's not worthy. He cannot stand in the presence of the holiness of God. Any illusion he had about who he was, how holy he was, is gone, right? It's undone at this point. Because he says, I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, many translations say, um, I am ruined, or I am undone. Now, I think undone best sums up the fact that Isaiah, at this point in his life, in, in his life he has a good idea or a concept of who he is, right? He, he's from Israel, um, is, Israel people, you know, he sees them, assumes one thing about them. And so as he comes into this experience, what happens is it all unravels. It all becomes undone. Everything he thought about anything is undone in the reality of God's holiness. He's immediately convicted of sin and the sin of his people. It's the first thing he says. Isaiah learns quickly that the holiness of the Lord is a reality check. Because Isaiah sees the Lord and sees the Lord's holiness, for the first time, he actually sees himself. You know, I think a lot of us kind of tell ourselves one story about what we are and who we are. But when we come to the Lord, that, that's a completely different story. How does the Lord view us? How are our thoughts and our actions, how do they match up in light of the Lord's holiness? And so he's humbled. And as scary as it sounds, and I know all this sounds really scary this morning if we're thinking about it, I think that's what we need this morning and every day to have an experience like this. It's only by knowing who God is, right? By knowing the Lord and by knowing that the Lord is holy, right? The Lord is not our homeboy. The Lord is holy. And that's two different ways to start your day, thinking about the Lord. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, when I met my wife, um, our future wife, I had to, to rethink who I was in light of who she was. I wanted to change who I was. And it's not because she asked me to change, she didn't. But I knew, like, I want to be somebody else for her. And so I spent all my extra time and all my extra money on, on that relationships. And mind you, she's just a person. You know, now I think, you know, unfairly beautiful. Um, but she's just a person who sins, right, and has terrible taste in men. <laughs> now, a lot of us have met people who have had a dramatic effect on our lives and completely made us want to be different people, which is awesome. That's great. I'd love to hear all of your stories, but how much more when we encounter the holiness of God should we be motivated to confess our sins, to, to understand who we are and to move on in our lives from that dynamic, to invest all of our lives and resources into that relationship. Now, my wife can tell you sometimes, you know, I get depressed, I get anxious about stuff. And really the only thing that helps me in those moments is the reality of the holiness of God. And so one of the first things I'll do is reach out to brothers or sisters and meet with them because I, I want to see that. I want to see God in them. I want to be told about the gospel again 
because pastors need to hear the gospel too. And I'll, and I'll read books, and I'll pray, and I'll get into the Bible. Because the holiness of God is what sets me straight. And I think for us this morning, if you feel like your life, you know, if it's out of balance, the answer to that is the holiness of God. And this leads us to, as I already gave away by accident, the G of hugs, which is God's grace. Right? When we're spinning out of control, when we don't feel ourselves, when the world seems wicked and wrong, um, when we know that we're wicked and wrong, we go to the holiness of God. And yes, I mean, the first thing, like Isaiah, is just, woe is me. God, I'm so sorry. I see what I'm doing. I see what I'm thinking. And that's when we experience God's grace. And we see this in verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So first off, I don't know what you would do, but one of these seraphim is now flying at Isaiah. Right? This... Right, with a burning coal, and if you're Isaiah, I, I think you'd have to assume the worst. I mean, you've already said, like, I'm in trouble. Oh, God, like, I'm in, I'm in so much trouble. I know what I think. I know what I say. I know what kind of people I come from. And now this thing is flying at me with a tongue with coal, which is like a torture device. But then it says his mouth is touched with the coal. And the seraphim sin, says his guilt is taken away and his sin is atoned for. Now that is grace right there. The woe is gone. Like it's gone. That feeling of just woe and oh my gosh is gone. The sin is gone. The, the, the being undone is done. Feeling guilty is done. All that stuff is gone because uh, atonement, if you don't know, atonement, I always say atonement means things are cool. And I know that's understated, but I believe it's true. When our sins are atoned for, I mean, they're taken away. And the guilt is taken away. So we are brought into being cool with God. And I, I don't know if you can wrap your minds around that. That just excites me so much. We are cool with the holy God. Our sins are atoned for. Now, mind you, it's worth pointing out that Isaiah did nothing he didn't do anything to get his sins atoned for. You know, he didn't even know this was an option. Like, how do you even know that such thing is possible? And yet it's God who Isaiah has offended, the throne which Isaiah has admitted that he's offended, that comes this reconciliation and comes this salvation. And if that sounds familiar, it's because that's the gospel. The God we offended is the one who gives us his grace and offers a sacrifice for us at the altar. That burning coal points to the work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus bore the full fiery wrath that we deserved. When we were undone, had no hope, couldn't do anything, Jesus did that for us. In fact, there's, there's nothing anybody can ever do more for you than Jesus has already done on the cross. Removing your guilt and atoning for your sin. 
Now, you may not know this church by looking at me, and maybe you'll forgive me, but I'm a huge fan of rom-coms. <clears throat> some, some of you, others? Yes? Okay, sweet. Especially cheesy, cheesy 80s rom-coms. <laughs> and so, yeah, and I make my family watch them. They know, they know. It's like, why am I watching this, Dad? Um, and so you, know, you have the movie um, Say Anything, right? It's like one of the most popular. Um, my wife hadn't seen it till very recently. Um, but I made her watch it, and there's a scene where Lloyd Dobler is standing outside of um, Diane Court. I had to look that down. Uh, Diane Court, and he's standing outside of her window doing what? Yeah, he's holding a boombox up. Just holding a boombox up, and he's the offended party. Like, if you've seen the movie, he hasn't done, he's cool, and he hasn't done anything wrong, but he's the offended party, and he's the one that's holding up the boombox, trying to win her over, and he's doing that. He's holding up that boombox to get her attention, right? And he's saying, basically, stop ignoring me. Like, you're not answering my calls. You, nobody, I can't get a hold of you. I'm blasting this, you know, Peter Gabriel outside of your window, so you will stop ignoring me. He just wants her attention. And this morning, God wants your attention too. God wants you to stop ignoring him. Only God, God didn't raise a boombox for us, right? He didn't raise a boombox, but he raised his son up on a cross. Raised his son up on a cross to get our attention. This grand gesture of love and peace and removal of guilt and atonement. He raises that up for us this morning because he loves us. And because of that, when we talk about the holiness of God, it's something we can enjoy. You enjoy the holiness of God? I know I do. I enjoy the fact when I pray, I'm not praying to somebody who's a little bit different than me, right? Just a better version of myself. Like I'm praying to the holy God of the universe. And I can enjoy it because of that holy sacrifice of Jesus. So, it sounds like a good hug, right? And this, it sounds like the kind of hug you want, but there's one more aspect to experiencing the hugs of the Lord and embracing the gospel, which is being sent or sending. So we'll see this in verse 8. <clears throat> so it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. And isn't it so interesting that he says, I and us, right? You guys catch that? The same person talking says, I and us, which I, I'm always going to point out theological nuggets whenever we're going through Scripture. And so you see I, you know, God is one, and us, that God is triune. Which means, although Isaiah doesn't fully notice or even know who Jesus is, he's encountering Jesus right now. And, and if that sounds like a stretch, like maybe, James, you're kind of stretching that out a little bit. Well, in John 12, in John 12, verse 41, this is what John says about Isaiah in this moment. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. So John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, makes it clear 
that when Isaiah is having this encounter, he's encountering Jesus. That just blows my mind. Like every time I get goosebumps thinking about this, like pre-Jesus coming to earth, and you have this encounter and this atonement, like foreshadowing and pointing to what's going to happen at the cross. just excites me. And so he hears this voice of the Lord, which says, who will go for us? Who will go for us, right? God needs a messenger. The Lord has a message for Israel, needs a messenger. Who's going to go for us? And which Isaiah, at this point, who has just had this experience, experienced the Lord's grace. It's like, this is a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. And he says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. And here's where Isaiah is commissioned to be a prophet for the rest of his life. Now, one thing about prophets, and I did want to talk about prophets for a little bit, because it can be a little confusing. Prophets are, I like to say, they're people who communicate the relationship status, right? You you talk about DTR, right? Define the relationship. And in the simplest sense, that's all prophets are doing. And so prophets are called, you know, sometimes to act out stuff, whether I think we talked about lying on your side naked for two years, um, doing crazy things, you know, naming their kids crazy names, you know, or, or having messages from God, you know, which Isaiah writes down a lot of these messages. And they're all based on this idea that Israel is supposed to act a certain way, right? They're supposed to align with the Mosaic Covenant and supposed to be a light to the world, communicate God's love to the world, and they don't do it. So what prophets do is they communicate from God, And God is saying, I see you guys. I see what you're doing. Like, I'm God. I'm high and lifted up. I see what you're doing. You need to stop. You need to repent. And God says over and over, and this is where a lot of Bible verses are taken out of context. We won't get too far into it. But you have promises, right? Promises of blessing. If you guys stop. If you guys just do what I ask, which you guys already know what to do, and I'm sending you constant reminders of what to do, if you just stop and repent and do as I ask you to do, everything is going to be awesome. I have so many blessings for you. This is going to be an incredible relationship. But if you don't, there's going to be judgment, right? And so you have prophets who are just saying, Guys, it could be awesome or it could be not awesome. It's up to you. And that sums up the prophets. They always, God's telling you where you stand in your relationship. Now, maybe like me, you've been dumped before. And worse than that, you were dumped without excuse. Like, you didn't even see it coming. You didn't even do anything. Maybe you've had friends like that. Like friendships, right? And you're like, I don't know what I did wrong. Why did they stop talking to me? Our God is not like that. Our God, you always know where you stand. He's constantly reminding us, you know. And so this morning we have the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit, we have me up here telling us like what God thinks and what God expects of us. And so we always know where we stand with the Lord. We don't have any excuse. We know what to do. And so because of this message, uh, prophets, um, again, if you've read the Old Testament, not liked people. Like they are not 
popular, or they're popular to throw rocks at, basically, but not popular. And so, does anybody know how Isaiah died? Did I hear somebody? So, Isaiah, it's believed, was sawn in half. That's how his, his being a prophet ended. He was just completely sawn in half. And church, although God is long-suffering and patient, there will come a time when that patience runs out, where God says, okay, okay, you're an atheist. Okay, you're agnostic. At some point, God is going to say, okay, I understand. I accept. I accept the terms of, your, of our relationship. And the patience runs out and the grace runs out and then comes judgment. And judgment is exactly what Isaiah has to prophesy for the rest of his life. And we see this in verses 9 through 13, where it says, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed." Then I said, O Lord, how, or how long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without an inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is failed. The holy seed is its stump. Now, this is rough. Isaiah gets like, you know, out of all the prophets who have prophesied to Israel, right? Judgment's going to happen. Like, turn, judgment's going to happen. Isaiah is not that prophet. Isaiah is the prophet who has to say, time's up. And so nobody likes Isaiah. Isaiah is saying, even if you want to turn at this point, judgment is already taking place. There's already armies about to invade and destroy you. Everything is going to be destroyed he has to tell everybody he knows, including his friends and his family, that only a tenth of them are going to survive. Yet even as we see in the very last part of that verse, that stump, after Israel is chopped down, that stump is a holy seed. So even there we see God's grace in the midst of this judgment that's about to take place. There's still the gospel seed that we see right there, that Jesus is going to come. And church, I know that we are not Old Testament prophets. I know that we are not in Israel and we are not preaching to Israel. But we are those who have encountered the holiness of God. We've become undone. We've accepted the Lord's grace and the gospel. And we are being sent into our own world, into Bakersfield. And what makes us, I think, like excellent people to do that is that we have had that experience already. We've had consciences, like just depressed, upset conscience that have been liberated by God's grace. And so we know when we tell people to come to Jesus, like we know what it feels like. We're operating out of somebody who's already experienced that. And that should excite us so that when we share our faith, like we're excited about it, right? We're not just telling them to come to an option or an abstract idea, but we're like, experience this. Look at my life. Look how I have experienced it. And I know this world is crazy, right? 
oh man, I don't even like opening my phone or, you know, or turning it on or turning on the news. You know, we look at our country and we, maybe we say, we're in judgment already. You know, maybe we are, or maybe we're about to be. But that doesn't make the gospel any less true, right? We still have the best news that anybody has. Despite all the bad news that comes on our phones and TV, we still have the best news of all. We have the news of the gospel and the news of Jesus Christ. And so I hope this morning, like Isaiah, that all of us who here would say, here I am, Lord, send me. Now today, maybe your relationship with God isn't what it should be. Maybe you would say it's complicated. Well, it doesn't have to be. It really doesn't have to be. If you feel like you are too far gone, you're too bad, you've done things that God can't possibly forgive, you're wrong. Like, that's a great place to be. Feeling like you've done too much bad is a great place to be. I mean, that's where the gospel is. That's where you're undone, like Isaiah, and that's a perfect place for you to go to Jesus. This morning, if that's you, it's not about being sent. It's not about going out right now. It's about coming in and coming to Jesus this morning. And for those of us here who are, or who are Christians, I hope this morning, this is a day that you remember that passion that you originally had. You know, like it says in Revelation, like that, that remember your first love. Remember when you were undone. Remember when you first realized that you were a sinner. When you realized what you've done, what you've thought, who you were. This morning, embrace that holiness of God and just enjoy being undone before it so that you can receive that grace and be sent out into Bakersfield and to the ends of the earth. Let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.